Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Lord, we ask for open ears to hear your word. We ask for open eyes to see you, Jesus. We love you very much. And Lord, this is, we want to see you in our hearts. We want to see you in our mind as we listen to you and watch you see how you care for Peter today. Would you, would you let us sense your heart and draw close to you? I pray for the grace, Lord, to, to get out of the way and let your word speak. Come, Father, minister to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 21, I will begin at verse 15. Uh, Let me just introduce this a minute. John wrote this gospel after the other gospels were written, apparently. Uh, Some people think he wrote it like 90 AD. I don't think so. I think the temple was still standing because of a reference in it. So it's before 70. But John became the pastor... Uh, at the church in Ephesus. Okay, now picture this. Talk about a list of pastors that that church had. It started with Paul, then Timothy, and then St. John. How would you like that for, who'd, who'd like to be the fourth pastor? <laughs> wow. What a, what, a, what a act to follow. But John was, was the pastor there, and, and he was also, in a sense, the bishop of the whole area. And of course, he's the Apostle John, and there's just nobody, nobody like Apostle John. And so, he, he wrote his gospel to, to, to correct things. I think people were, uh, were, uh, were uh, diminishing Jesus. I think people were having a hard time. You see that in the book of Hebrews too. Where it opens up in chapter 1 with this argument that he's not an angel. Why would you even say that? Because some people were saying, well, he's just the angel of the Lord. In fact, there's a whole group that says that today. And they'll knock on your door every so often. Uh, they, he's the angel of the Lord. He's, he's Michael. He's that kind of thing. They, they have a very difficult time with this whole idea that the Father begot a Son. The Bible is as clear as it could be. Couldn't say it any clearer. That the Father has begotten a divine Son. But they struggle with that. And so people go through all sorts of things. And they were then. And so John writes his gospel. One of the main things is to say, he, the, the, the Son of God, he who spoke the worlds from the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit, he who spoke the worlds into being, he has, he has put on flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory. The glory of, you know, on he goes. So John has explained, is explaining who Jesus is. But he's also showing us the heart of Jesus. And so the fact that he puts this final chapter on. I mean, you've had the resurrection. You've had these amazing scenes of the resurrection. And then he takes us to, to this, this appearance where Jesus meets his, to seven of his disciples at the lake, at the Sea of Galilee there in, in, in the north. They've all gone up to wait for him as he'd asked. And he suddenly stands on the, they're out fishing. Uh, Peter's taken them all out fishing. We've, we've talked about that. And then they see this man standing on the shore. They don't know who it is. And he calls out, you haven't got anything to eat, have you? And they said, no. And then he says, cast your net on the other side. And they, they had a, apparently this trammel net. And they put it out on the other side uh, and caught 153 fish. And then they know it's Jesus. 
And uh, Peter swims to the shore. He doesn't want to wait for the net to be dragged in. The others come in, and there's Jesus cooking breakfast. He's got a fish cooking, uh, a tilapia, it would have been, uh, on, that, on a fire that he's made. It's already burned down to coals. And he says, come and have breakfast. And then he serves them. This is the amazing thing. He, he cooks breakfast. He says, get some more fish. He probably brought him seven or eight. Those things are good size. And he said, bring, bring some fish. And so he then cooks them breakfasts and serves them, it says so, the bread and the fish. He, he serves them. And we looked at that and said, what a stunning picture. This is the resurrected Lord, the divine son of God who's become a man. And he's cooking breakfast for them. What does that say about his character? What does that say about the heart of our God? In his majesty, in his glory, there is humility and kindness. And we looked at the kindness of God. That he was, we, John wanted us to see this picture. John won't close his gospel until we've seen this. He says, you, there's, some, there's, a, there's something that happened you have to see. And so he takes us to this beautiful moment there by the Sea of Galilee. Well, as soon as breakfast was served... Jesus says to Peter, come, let's go for a walk. And he takes Peter alone for a walk down the beach and has a conversation. John follows. It says that in verse 20. John's following behind them. And they're, but they're walking along. And Jesus has this, this, this discussion with Peter. And, and it's, John wants us to see this too. Because Jesus is healing Peter from, from a terrible memory from a terrible event that's going on in his life and Peter's not free and he wants John wants us to see that because this great pastor uh, John St. John knows you and I need to hear it too and he won't close his gospel without it so Lord open our heart to it verse 15 so when they had finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice the more than these part. Where does that come from? Peter had boasted. You're going to see Jesus ask him three questions. Why does he ask him three questions? Who, who knows? Because he had done what? He had denied him three times. Now, let me, let me just fill that in. It isn't, this isn't a small matter. Jesus is being tried in, in Caiaphas's main room. Only 20 feet away is the courtyard. We they still have this place. It's there. And uh, so there's Peter outside warming his hands, you know, by the, the, on the coals outside. Or, or this, this young girl comes up and says, says to him, uh, you were with him, weren't you? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. He really strongly does it. And then as he's warming his hands, one of the people says, you've got, you got a Galilean accent. You're one of those, aren't you? You're one of, you're one of his, aren't you? And he says, I don't know. I, I, I don't know the man. It's really ugly. And then the third time, he's challenged once more, and he, he's actually vulgar. He says, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. I don't know him. Yeah, yes. And then there was the rooster. Yeah. Jesus had, had told him he'd do this. Didn't you recall that? But it was, it was ugly. It was deep. And then what happened? Peter went out and wept bitterly. 
Peter did something he'd sworn he wouldn't do. Peter did something he never thought he would do. Peter betrayed himself, and it damaged Peter. That's what this is about. All right, so Jesus goes down this list. So he says, first of all, he says, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Actually, my little lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd, and again, it's my little sheep. And he said to him the third time, and this is when it really dawns on Peter what's happening. First of all, I think it's like, why are you asking me this? But when he hits the third question, Peter gets it. Oh, you're going down my denials. Peter was grieved. He was sad because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. I mean, you said I was going to do it three times before the rooster crowed. And I did. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my little sheep. Many of us are plagued with a memory of something we did in the past, which we can't seem to get out of our minds. Even though we may have confessed it to the Lord and are confident he has forgiven us, the memory of that event still lingers and every so often rushes back into our thoughts to torment us. For some reason, we have not been able to free ourselves from it. It still influences our thinking, our decision-making, or the way we view ourselves. If we've let others know that we are struggling in this way, it's likely that we have received a lot of conflicting advice. And there is always someone who means well who tells us to simply leave that event in the past and move on. He or she urges us to stop fixating on negative things and be happy. And that advice may have worked for them. But for those of us who have so betrayed our own standards that we can't forgive ourselves, even if we know that God does, that memory doesn't disappear no matter how hard we try to focus on the future and move on. In Philippians 3, Paul says this. He says, forgetting what lies behind... He says, and, 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 uh, he says, and stri- I, will, I strive to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of in Christ Jesus. He says, I put, I put my, failure, my failures, my weakness in the, and I look forward. And that is the way we're to live. There's way too much victimization in the way we talk. Uh, we're just, a, we're a victimization culture. Everybody's a victim of what was done to us. And we live, we sort of almost, we, it becomes part of our identity. We just limp along with our past. And, and that's not, we're not to do that. We're to focus and see the good things. However, and this, this, this situation with Peter is, is literally proof of it. There are certain things that need addressing. There are certain things that we aren't going to be free until that is addressed by Jesus and released in us and healed in us. So there are things you put in the past, but there are things that need dealing with. Jesus' purpose in asking Peter these three questions as they walked along the beach at the Sea of Galilee was not to shame him for his failure. 
He wasn't bringing up his past to punish him. He was releasing him from the grip of a painful memory. Yet, to heal Peter properly, Jesus had to reopen that wound. Peter had done the very thing he had sworn he would never do. And it had broken something inside of him. He wasn't the same man anymore and couldn't move on in his calling until that was healed. I think that's why this had to happen. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll show you in a minute. Uh, there's, I, I think there's no question that G Jesus has already forgiven him. I mean, not only th theologically, I think there's been an event. They, they've already met. So this isn't about today's message. This, this passage isn't about Jesus forgiving Peter for his denials. That's been done. Today's passage is about Jesus healing Peter from the damage. Because Peter's stuck. This wouldn't happen if it weren't needed. There's a reason for this. This isn't something he just did. This is, there's a deep reason for this. By that time, he had already, Peter had already had a private meeting with Jesus and surely knew that he was forgiven. But the painful memory of those denials was going to continue to torment him until it was properly addressed. The Bible tells us in two places. One is there that passage with the, the, the disciples on the Emmaus Road. They make a statement when they get back to the disciples they, uh, they, that about Jesus having met with Cephas. And Paul says it specifically that there was a meeting between Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and Peter. He tells us that. He calls him Cephas. So on resurrection day, on that Sunday, somewhere earlier in the day, Jesus privately appeared to Peter. And we're not told what was said, but come on, what was, what did we deal with? You know what we're going to deal with. Peter's going to see the Lord and pretty much fall into a heap and go, oh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. You remember during the time while, while Jesus is being moved out, in fact, you go there, I don't know where this is. He comes out of this one hall and he's walking by and there is an op there's an opening in the courtyard right there. And it said Jesus looked at him. So Peter has no more than done this. And the Lord is beaten and just, he's already, already being badly mistreated. And he walks by and he looks Peter in the eye. Ah! Oh. It says Peter went out and wept bitterly. So, what happens at this meeting? Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I what to say. And you know he forgave him. So that's been addressed. He knew he was forgiven, but the painful memory of those denials was going to continue to torment him until it was properly addressed. It would leave him vulnerable to the devil's accusations. When the time came for him to step out in ministry, doubts would arise. Did he really love Jesus? I mean, come on, he thought he had, but he just he denied him when confronted just by, by, by the girl who tends to the door and by somebody standing there warming their hands. Would his courage collapse again the next time he was confronted with danger? It sure had last time. So Peter took, Jesus took Peter aside and walked down the beach with him and one by one connected the memory, listen to this, of those three denials with a new memory. Say new memory. New memory. 
Yeah, he can't get rid of the old memory. You can't, it's not going to go away, but it's now going to be attached to a new memory. You see this? Of confessing his love for Jesus and of hearing Jesus call him again into his service. Thankfully, John walked behind the two of them and heard what was said and realized the importance of what he heard. That he refused to close his gospel until he had reported this conversation indicates how significant John felt that conversation was. I am sure he understood that many of us, like Peter, would need more than forgiveness if we were going to be free from our past and move forward in our calling. He knew we would need what Peter needed, a new memory and a fresh call. Say a new memory and a fresh call. Forgiveness removes guilt, but a forgiven person may still need restoration. Forgiveness removes guilt, but a forgiven person may still need restoration. They may need help to repair the damage they caused to themselves by that guilt. When we sin, when we fail, particularly those, those bad things, those things we really cross a line, it, it damages us. When Peter denied the Lord, he sinned in at least two ways. First, he lied to the person who questioned him. And second, he broke his vow to be loyal to the Lord even unto death. But those sinful actions did more than violate God's righteous standards. They also damaged Peter. They strained his relationship with the Lord. He's now ashamed and put his, at risk his call to become a witness. If we are correct in assuming that Jesus forgave him at, that, at the private meeting he had with him on the day of the resurrection, then the conversation, between John, conversation John records here between Jesus and Peter was not about announcing forgiveness to Peter. It was about healing him and restoring his call. When Jesus questioned Peter's love for him, he used a word which means selfless love. What you can't see, but it's in the Greek, and very clearly in the Greek, is Jesus turns to Peter, and you know they're walking down the beach, and I, I can't imagine he didn't turn to him, look him in the eye, and said, Peter... Do you, and he uses the word that's based on agape. Do you agap, agapao. Do you love me with selfless, uh, sacrificial love? Like I've loved you. Peter's answer to him is a different word. Each time. Peter answers him and says, yes, Lord, you know, I, I love you like a friend. It's a, it's a less word. Each time. He, he can't say it because he's, he, he clearly doesn't yet. Each time then, Jesus asks, do you love me? Peter then answers, he asks, do you love me with sacrificial love? Peter answers with, Lord, you know I, 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 I love you like a friend loves a friend. And then Jesus gives him a charge. And there's three charges there really. First is feed, the word's feed. Feed my sheep, my, no, feed my little lambs. It's a thing called a diminutive iota. They stick in. It means little. You stick. And my, not just lambs. Feed my little lambs. Who, who are they? Children? The weak? The vulnerable? Peter's a fisherman, isn't he? What's he being told to do? Become a shepherd. He says, if you love me, care for my people. And start with the little the young, the vulnerable, the weak. Care for them, Peter. 
If you love me, care for my people. Do you, do you notice how he joins us? And then he says, the second time, he says the same question. Do you love me with selfless, sacrificing love? And Peter answers, you know I love you like a friend. And then he says to him, shepherd my little sheep. Not lambs, little sheep. Uh, that's probably endearment, but it's also, again, he's always watching for the young, the vulnerable, the weak. Care for my shepherd them, lead them, care for them, protect them, feed them, uh, guard them from storms, heal them when they're injured. Care for my people, Peter. Fishermen become a shepherd. And then the last time he says it again. Then, then actually, the third time Jesus changes his verb. And he says, do you love me like a friend, Peter? Because <laughs> this is where this is going. And then, and, then, and, and then Peter, it says, is grieved when he heard him say the third time, do you love me like a friend? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart better than I know my heart. You, can, you, you know the future, you know. And he, and he says, you know that I love you. And then he says the third time, he says, feed my little sheep feed my sheep care for my people every time he every time peter confesses jesus gives a new assignment you got to see that that's part of the healing he's not just having the slate wiped out he's being put back where he belongs you see it when jesus heals us he doesn't just wipe the slate clean he puts us back where into his plan for us. Now it can look different after we've done some damage. But we will be what he's made us to be. Wherever he's going to put us. We're going back to work. And that's part of the trust. It's part of the healing. I don't just forgive you and set you aside. I forgive you and restore you. To who I made you to be. Hallelujah. After Peter replied to his third question, Jesus issued a third command. He said, feed my little sheep. In this case, the words little sheep probably are more of a term of endearment than simply another way of saying lambs. He did that. That was sort of his style. He'd say, hey, hey boys, when he called them out on the lake, or he'd say, um, you know, my uh, little, little ones. I mean, Jesus used that tender phrase. By the way, when, when he raised Jairus' daughter, do you remember that? Um, it's not translated. Nobody, nobody translates it properly. I don't know why. It's cool. Um, he doesn't say, you know, uh, little girl, get up. He says, little lamb. He uses this word. He says, little lamb, get up. Takes this dead girl by the hand and raises her to life. Little lamb. Does that tell you about him? I mean, you, you, you can feel his personality. You can hear the character and the tenderness of this person. Little lamb, get up. I can follow this guy. Can you? Yeah, this, this, this person I can follow. So there was a process in the way. There was a process to the way Jesus restored Peter. For each denial he called forth a confession. For each confession he issued an assignment. Why don't you read that line with me? For each denial he called forth a confession. And for each confession he issued an assignment. By doing that, he created a new memory and made it clear that Peter's past failures had not removed his calling. Betrayal is the hardest thing to forgive. That's true when someone else betrays us, but it's also true when we betray ourselves. 
I think every person has some sort of boundaries that they have promised themselves that they will never cross. We all know that we make mistakes and do things other people consider wrong, but still we tell ourselves there are certain things we will never do. It's just not who we are. It is not possible. And then, if somehow we crossed that boundary and did something we can't believe we did, or said something we can't believe we said, or thought something we can't believe we thought, or felt something we can't believe we felt. We are not only shocked at what we did, said, thought, or felt, but our understanding of who we are as a person is shaken. Clearly, we are not the good person we thought we were. And if we failed in that one area, then who's to say we won't fail in another? We may become very angry at ourselves and look for ways to punish ourselves. One of the things I have observed is, is uh, people will, will sometimes fall into what appears to be a depression. And uh, I'll have people come and sometimes because they know I have a, a history with depression, and and so they will they'll talk to me and they'll and they'll, they'll not, I'll often ask the question, when did this come on? When did this start? And when I hear an answer like this, well, about six months ago, I said, did it come on suddenly? Yeah. Here's what I'm thinking. What did you do? And I'm not thinking it with an accusation. You crossed the line very possibly. All of a sudden, you, 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 you'll watch this. Somebody's going along perfectly normally. And then, unbeknownst, they have done something where they stepped over a line and did something they never in the world thought they'd do. They are so angry at themselves. So shocked by what they did. So disgusted with themselves. It isn't really depression. Depression is another stuff altogether. It's grief. Somebody's died. They're grieving over the death of the person they thought they were. And it's a horrible thing. And you, you will see it. But it, 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 it isn't the same thing. You don't, you, it's, not, it's not the depression. We may become very angry at ourselves and look for ways to punish ourselves. We may... Decide to remove ourselves from any sort of responsible roles or ministry. Because in our minds, we no longer deserve the trust of others. We may withdraw from people. We may love because, uh, pardon me, we may draw, withdraw from people we love because we have decided we don't deserve their love. They go cold. They pull back. All of a sudden, there's, there's just like where, where you wonder, where, they, where did you go? No one would love us if they knew how weak we are. Or the horrible thing we did. So to protect them and ourselves. We may physically isolate ourselves. Or emotionally shut down. In a spiritual sense. Our life is over. And we're just waiting for the end. I. Uh, years ago. This is a. Not here. I, had, I led a, a, a person to the Lord uh, when we were young. And uh, 
really, it, I led that person into the baptism of the Spirit. They, they knew, but boy, did they get baptized in the Spirit. And uh, I expected when that person was baptized in the Holy Spirit, they would go on and serve the Lord with a new energy and, and all. And as the years passed, that didn't happen. That person went to church. That person actually served in minor roles in the life of the church. But what you need to know is this person is enormously talented, enormously capable, has all the tools, as it were, to be a very, very successful pastor, leader, all kinds of stuff, just got the stuff, and yet never would. Never went, just loved the Lord, would go to church regularly, uh, would do some minor roles, but never stepped forward. Now, I just, I couldn't understand it. I did not, I didn't know what, what, what on earth happened there. And then one day he told me. He said, I imagine you're wondering about why I didn't do some things. And he said, let me tell you the story. And, and he told me what he had done as a young man. Something that he had done. And it was terrible. It was. And then he said to me, now you know the rest of the story. In his mind, because of what he'd done, even though he had now met the Lord in this powerful way, and the Spirit of the Lord was on him, because of what he'd done, in his mind, he was disqualified from real ministry. That there was a shame in his past that he could not go past. Do you agree with him? I don't. I think that this is what this, this event we're looking at with Peter is about. I think we're learning. Jesus is dealing with Peter. He's taking this very thing out of Peter. Peter, too, had done something that in Peter, Peter's mind had disqualified him. And Jesus is saying, we're going to walk right back down that. I'm going to give you a new memory. You're going back into the calling I have for you. Now, I admit to you that some, we can do things that will limit what we, where and how we can minister. Uh, there are people today who are fulfilling their calling as, a, as an evangelist or as a, as a pastor in jail. There are people who can't legally walk into a church because of stuff they've done. I mean, I, we can do things where there are boundaries to what we can and can't do. But how he made us, the way he wired you, the calling and the purpose that God has, that doesn't change. God doesn't change his mind. So however it is, you and I step into wherever we can, into what he originally called. He puts us back into the plan. And there is no plan B. Not about who you are. Not about who you are. This dear friend of mine, and, and, and it just it is what it is, has 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 all has has limited himself because of what he has what he had done. Forgiveness. I think for a person to really believe that they are forgiven, they must feel forgiven. 
All the assurances in the world that I am forgiven have no lasting power unless I once again feel loved. This is especially true in my relationship with God. When I do something that deeply shames me, I can't move past it until my heart has come to peace with him about that matter. Now, I know that sounds touchy-feely, and you, you, you can attack me for that and say, well, forgiveness is theological, and you just take it by faith, you know. Um, I don't think humans are wired like that. I think we need, we need to feel, and, I, and I'm not just trying to be shallow about this, but I need to feel the closeness and presence of God. And I think when people are dry, when our relationship with God is cold, I think that's why some people say, I, Pastor, I just don't feel forgiven. And there are individuals who, who you can never tell enough that you're forgiven because they're always doubting it. I had, I had one man talk to me. It surprised me. Uh, he, 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 he's someone who had been in the church for years and a really fine man. But he came to, you know, and, and he said, I... I came and I, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said, I've tried to get it for years. I can't get it. And I said, well, let's, let's pray. And I, I prayed with him and he did indeed uh, come through in, in, in that in time. And after that happened to him, after he was really baptized in the Spirit and the freedom of, of, of prayer language and all of that came into his life, he said something to me that just caught me off guard. He said, you know, I've always, I've always doubted that I was saved. And he said, but that's gone. Why is it gone? God touched him. Look, that, 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 that is, that, that God would touch, take his, his beautiful presence and touch you. Not just sit up in heaven and go, all right, I've wiped the slate clean, you're forgiven. <laughs> that he would touch you. You know, think of the leper that Jesus touched. I mean, everywhere he'd go, he'd shout out, unclean, unclean, and have to stay back for, I don't know, 100 yards from anybody else and all this kind of, he's unclean. And Jesus did what? He touches him. That's just huge. The love of it. The acceptance in it. The, 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 un, the identification in it. I, I touch you. You're not unclean to me. That's why people, we want the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the presence and power of God. That's why we want to worship into the presence. Don't, it's not emotionalism. Unless, of course, you don't believe there is a spiritual realm. Then you have no other explanation. But you're kind of on your own if you believe that. I can't deal with that. There is a spiritual realm. And the Lord is present. And boy, when we worship and his sweetness comes, that is heals us more than anything else. That, in my uncleanness, in my stupidity, in the foolish things I've done, that you would come and touch me and come over me and be with me. That heals me. That's what takes that horrible thing out of, out of the belly. That's what was going on with Peter. That's what he does with us. I can't move past it until my heart has come to peace with him about that matter. I can try to push that memory to the back of my mind. But every so often something triggers it and the wound seems as fresh as the day it happened. So this type of injury needs to be treated individually with deliberate intent to stop its influence. Only then will my heart be able to step into the freedom of my forgiveness. 
That's why Jesus took time to minister to Peter about that particular issue. Peter was stuck. There are certain issues where we're stuck. After that conversation with Jesus on the beach, Peter would never again remember his denials without also remembering his restoration. And it's obvious that Jesus meant for that to happen. He systematically walked down three confessions to replace each of those three denials. He couldn't yet, and I say yet because someday he wipes away every tear, right? He couldn't yet wipe out the memory of that failure. But he could connect it to a new memory of heartfelt confession and fresh assignment. Never again would Peter be able to think of three denials and not remember the walk on the beach. And three confessions and three assignments. He'll never again be able to do that. Jesus linked them together. He's, he's, he's reprogramming, you might say, Peter's thinking. You might say that he placed a new chapter at the end of Peter's sad story. The sad part was still there, but now it ended well. Jesus transformed the story of Peter's failure from a tragedy into a testimony. He can take your tragedy and turn it into a testimony. Look, there's a difference between a wound and a scar. A wound, here you have this open gash thing. This is, I'm injured, I'm damaged. You know, sometimes people show us their wounds. Look, you're going, ah, you know, thank, thank you. Didn't need to see that. You know, uh, you know some, I, I, heard, I heard a preacher once say, Jesus did not show up and hold out his wounds. The resurrected Jesus held out his scars. There's a big difference. Sometimes we do way too much of showing people our wounds. You know, look, you know, oh, don't show me that. But a scar shows you where I was wounded, but I'm now healed. Now that has power in it. That's a testimony. I, I, I once was blind, but now I see. I mean, that's, that's a different story altogether. And Jesus can take us at our, honestly, some of these terribly deep places, and they can become a testimony. They can become powerful. They can become something where, Je where the story now, because of what the, the chapter Jesus puts on the end of it, it becomes not, not this, this horrible thing I need to hide, but it becomes part of a testimony. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. You'll find that some of the most powerful areas in your life are where you're wounded the worst. When he's done with you, and you can come to someone and say, let me tell you what he did for me. That is, that is the most powerful part of our, 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 our testimony, all of us. And the good news is, Jesus can still do that. He can do for us what he did for Peter, even though we can't physically walk along a beach with him. We know that he is as present with us today as he was with Peter. Because he's promised that he always would be with us. So the key to this process is us. We must be willing to take the time and have the courage to bring those painful memories out of the hidden place where we put them. Or maybe I should say let him bring them out of that hidden place. And then we must lay them at Jesus' feet and ask him to show us what to do with them. 
We may need to admit something we have never admitted before. We may need to give a sincere apology to someone we hurt a long time ago. We may need to forgive and bless someone we've hated. We may need to return something we stole. We may need to stop blaming God for not stopping us for doing what we did. Now that may seem like a ridiculous statement, but it isn't. At least not in the fact that it's irrelevant. Uh, I don't know how many times I've had people tell me uh, they're angry at God for not stopping them for doing what they did. He's going to get blamed one way or another in the, in the, the way we work with him. Uh, so, so however you think of it, if you need to do it, then forgive him for not stopping you for doing what you did. But there's, there's issues like that go, go on in our heart. We may need to confess the truth that we love Jesus with all our hearts in the face of some foolish lies and doubts that we spoke in the past. There is always somebody present who thinks they've done the unforgivable sin. They have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. There is a passage where Jesus says, if you blaspheme, the, he says, you can say about me anything you want, but he says, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that's not forgivable. And there's just always this certain clientele who feels, I did that. And I'll often say, well, tell me, what did you say? What did you say? How did, how did it go? And they, you know, and I had one not too long ago and he poured out his heart. I did that. I said it. And I forget what he, something was wrong. And, and he, he was so angry at God. Somebody died or something. And he, and he just shook his face and told him off. And I said, you know what I think God thinks? He says, what? He said, I think God looked down at you. And he said, what a stupid kid. I said, you don't, you're, you were nothing but an angry, hurt young man, shaking your fist and raging. He knows that. He didn't take you seriously. He just put up with it and, and was there with you while you vomited. You understand that? This is, our, this is our God. He knows our hearts better than we know. I'm not even going to go into the theology of what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But let me just say, if you're worried about it, you haven't done it. What it is, is deliberate, deliberate uh, uh, apostasy. That's a whole other matter. But you raging when you're drunk or saying something stupid when somebody died or, or you had some terrible thing happen in your life and you're raging at heaven. That's a pretty human thing. <laughs> There's an awful lot of us that have raged at heaven in some terrible moment and, and then felt like an idiot afterwards for what we said. God doesn't take that seriously. But if you need to go back and revisit it and just say, God, I am so sorry. That was a foolish thing to have said. I don't know. Forgive me for it. Just clean it out of my heart. We may need to confess that Jesus was there with us even in our darkest hour. You may have had some moment you think, where was he? I've had those. And I've had to say, but you were there. You were there and you weren't indifferent. I don't understand the evil and I don't understand how things work, but you were there. We may need to clothe ourselves in Jesus' authority and forbid the enemy to use that memory to condemn us again. Sometimes we need to rise up and in Jesus' name, stop the devil from bringing that sucker back. 
we may need to decide once and for all to trust the power of Jesus' cross to forgive that sin and to continue to trust the cross, his cross to the last breath in our body. There's a point where you just say, I'm hanging on to the cross and I'm not letting go. I went through a season in my own life. I mean, this is, uh, I'm talking today about those particularly bad things. Uh, I'm assuming that a number of us have those. That you have, not everybody, I don't know. But there's many of us who will cross some lines. And we've got some baggage in our past. As a pastor, I've had people come and tell me some of the most amazing things. They often feel, I've got to get this off my chest, Pastor. And one guy was a sniper in the military. And I don't know how many people he killed. And it was just haunting him. I've had people who've hit, done hit and run. And left a body by the road. And carried that for years. I've had people who've had, who've, men who've made women have abortions. And then as they've come to the Lord, they, they know they're a murderer. And it just gnaws at them. It's just like I, and, and, and you'll find people where you try to witness to them, but they're just, they just, they just shut down every time you do. And you think, what is wrong with you? I've had people who are really old and they're, they're, they're dying and, and you're trying to talk to them about the Lord and they still, they're just all shut down. And, and you think, what is wrong with you? You're going to be compost in a couple of weeks. Why don't we just deal with this? You know, what do you got to lose for heaven's sakes? Who's going to know? And I'll tell you what it is. They're not saying it. They've done something. And they're thinking to themselves. Young, young man, young woman, person. You don't know what I've done. You wouldn't be talking to me like this if you knew what I'd done. I've done things God didn't want people like me. They really believe that. And it is the quiet elephant in the room. It is the thing that seems to be holding some of the hearts that you've seen that are so hard, so rigid, so stuck. And you think, you're not, you're not, you're not a stupid person. You're a bright person. How can you not somehow process through this? They are processing through it, but they're processing through it with a lie. That's why John put this in his gospel. We need to just see how Jesus deals with those horrible memories. He's dealing with Peter. Restored assignment. And then we need to hear him restore our assignment. It's true we can do things that may limit how and where we will be allowed to express that call. But God never changes his mind about how he designed us to serve him. I think if Jesus had not carefully restored Peter, Peter would have disqualified himself from ministry. He would have become passive and withdrawn. Feeling he had no right to preach or minister in Jesus' name because he had denied knowing that name. But each time Peter confessed his love for Jesus, Jesus commanded him to care for his people. He did more than forgive Peter. He restored him to his place of ministry. He put purpose back into Peter's life. From that day forward, Peter was on assignment. He was to show his love for Jesus by loving his people. And so are we. The healing of our painful memory isn't complete until our assignment is restored. You understand? He doesn't just forgive us and leave us in a corner like an old broom. He, he, he pulls us out, forget, washes us off, and says, get back to work. 
And it's in the get back to work that there's a real healing. I'm not worthless. I'm not forgotten. I'm not damaged goods. I'm still his beloved. With a call on my life. And a purpose that he's given to me. And you move forward. He gives you your future back. Not all painful memories should be brought back to mind. And addressed item by item. To try that is not only exhausting, it's dangerous. We can dredge up memories that we aren't mature enough to deal with yet. And a person can be left in a worse condition than when they started. There are therapies where you'll go back, now what happened at two? And what happened at three? And what happened at four? And it's just like you're dredging all, this, all, the, all the sewage up. And I'm going to tell you, some of us got a bad enough history. You load us with all of the stuff we just, we've done, and it, it, we're, we're, you'll throw us right, right into depression. I mean, I cannot, I keep the Lord at 12. I cannot go back into my childhood easily. Uh, I had a, I, you know, I had a, a, a very broken mom, and the two of us, it was just the two of us in, against the world, and oh, wow. And it's the stupidity of, uh, that, of things I did. Uh, it's just beyond belief. <laughs> It's like, a, I don't know, I don't even recognize this stupid kid. And, and I can go back and I can get my palms sweating. I can, get, I can get sort of sick and sad at remembering my history. I don't want to dredge that stuff up all the time. But there were certain things I had to deal with. I went through a season where I said to the Lord, because I, 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 wasn't, I, wasn't I wasn't getting free in some things. And I just said, Lord, I'm, I, I ask you to bring up those items I need to address. And keep down the ones I don't. But Holy Spirit, I'm just saying, go ahead and bring it up. And I will, de- I will deal with it. Now this, you know, you got all kinds of therapies. I just said, I'm going to deal with it biblically. I'll forgive what needs to be forgiven, I'll repent of what needs to be for repented of. I, I, will, I will by faith trust that you were there, Jesus, in whatever the situation. I'll, I will respond biblically to whatever you show me. Well, he did. He began to bring stuff up, and it was amazing. I could be making a left, I can remember specifically, making a left-hand turn at a, at a, at a stoplight, you know. You know, I'm going around the corner, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing something, you know, and, I, and I have to pull over to the side of the road and deal with it right then. Up comes this memory. And boy, it was an, it was an adventure. It took me several years. Every so often, one will still pop up. But I, I say that because they had one not too long ago. But for the most part, we, we dealt with the bulk of that junk. And I did what I said. I, I forgave. One case, I had to go back and apologize. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I did biblically. I dealt with each one. What happened? I didn't forget the memories. I mean, if you asked me, could I still remember them? Yes. But it took the buzz out of them. It took the energy out of them. I don't know how to, you know, I used to be to turn my, uh, my stomach at knot. I'd, I'd, it was just like I could feel it all again. The, the horror of it, like, ah. And that's gone. He healed that. He put that memory and he took another one on it. And now I'm, a ho- now I'm whole. He's able, to, he's able to nullify those past memories and make them scars, not wounds. Wounds. 
there are certain memories that we, they do, do need to be brought before Jesus and healed. They exert a toxic influence on us, even when we aren't thinking about them. They sour the way we relate to other people. They chill our relationship with God. They distort our view of ourselves to the point that they severely limit how we will allow God to use us. These are the memories that need special attention. In some areas, we may need the help of a mature believer to coach us, hear our confession, or pray for us. But ultimately, it will always be Jesus who restores us. Only when we hear his voice in our heart and feel the warmth of his love will we really be able to put that memory in the past and move on. Do you love me? When he restored Peter, Jesus didn't ask him if he was sorry for what he did. That conversation almost certainly happened when they met privately on the day of the resurrection. Nor did he make him promise he would never deny him again. He simply asked him one question. Do you love me? Why don't you say that? Because that's the foundation of our relationship with him. Someone might say, no, it's faith alone. But a faith that doesn't produce a love for the Lord seems indistinguishable from mere intellectual assent. Genuine faith is a faith that sees the reality of Jesus Christ and trusts in his cross for eternal life. And who can believe such things and not fall in love with him? Who can meet him and, not have, come to, and have him come to dwell within them and not adore him? I think it's impossible. Which is why Jesus only needed to ask Peter that one question. Do you love me? And the sincerity of his answer was all Jesus needed to destroy the power of those denials. To set him free from the, his bondage to that painful memory. And to trust him to care for his people. And it's the only question he will ask us. There is no formula as to how a person should respond to this sermon. But as we watch Jesus deal with Peter. Some of us today identify with him. We recognize that we need that same kind of healing. We too have been held in the grip of a memory of something we did in the past. We know intellectually that we are forgiven. But we haven't really found that freedom. Hopefully what John has, show, has shown us will give us the courage to bring that pain to the feet of Jesus and let him restore us. However he wants to do that. Like Peter, we need him to place a new chapter at the end of our sad story. Would you stand with me if you are able? If you're not, please stay seated. There's no way that a quick prayer or something on that order can, can suddenly deal with something like this. What, what, what this message can do is, is bring to our awareness the need to address something. And to show us. Jesus absolute willingness. That, that's the beauty of the message. Is to show us the heart of the Lord. Would you notice he. He did not. He restored Peter. He put Peter back in place. He went after Peter. And he'll, he goes after us. The same way he goes after you. The. 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 The, the horror of what would have happened had he not is Peter would have disqualified himself. 
You know, I was thinking about it. When Peter jumped out of that boat, you know, when he saw the stranger on the shore, and, he's, and John turns to him and says, it's the Lord. Peter put a coat on and swam to the shore. Do you remember that? I'll bet he started weeping. I'll bet that's how even Jesus, I mean, he knows all things. But I'll bet you Peter just went and started sobbing. And Jesus looks at him and goes, we aren't through yet, are we? I can't, I can't leave you like this. This isn't how this ends. You, you have to get healed. You have to go on. You're, you're, my, you're my apostle. You're my witness. You're going to serve me the rest of your life. You can't end like this. So he walks him down the beach and unties each denial and recharges him and says, you feed my people. You care for my people. I'm telling you to. He stores him. He must do that in your life. If the lie has come that I've done something that means I cannot be used by God. That's right from the, I'm going to tell you from the pit of hell. The devil's delighted to have that lie linger in your mind. Jesus doesn't just forgive. He restores He puts back into place what's out of joint. He brings us back. Let's let him do that with us. Lord Jesus, we do love you. We honor you. We give you our hearts this day. As we see you, you are a Lord we can follow. Your kindness, your understanding, your wisdom, your strength, your goodness. We bring to you our pain. We bring to you our history. And Lord, where there is a painful memory, would you show each of us how to deal with that? Ultimately, we bring it to you. We ask you to take and turn that wound into a, a, a scar. That, that tragedy into a testimony. Transform us, Lord. We will not allow these things to hold us back. We will serve you for the rest of our lives. We pray this, we mean it, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray it. If that's your prayer, would you say amen? amen. And now may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.